0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. For more info about grace, please go to www.graceorange.org. And now, join us as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Uh, Well, it is good to be here and to be with you. Uh, Pastor Mike is on vacation this week, and so I am bringing the Word to you this morning. and. I am preaching my literal favorite chapter of the Bible, and that is more intimidating than I expected it to be because I feel like if we get done and it is not your favorite chapter of the Bible, then I've probably done something wrong. But uh, regardless, it's really good, and so you can turn to Colossians chapter 1 right now. This is up there with all of the really greatest chapters. It is a theologically dense book in general, and this chapter in particular has just got so much crunchy goodness, and I hope we'll be able to do it justice this morning. When you get there, you can stand, and we're going to read Colossians 1, verses 3-14. through 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith of Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." And so, from the day we heard. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Father, thank You so much for Your Word and what it tells us about You and about Christ and about what it means to follow after Him. We pray that You would uh, enlighten our hearts this morning as we, as we see Your Word and that we would glorify You more um, as we are conformed to the image of Christ. We love You and pray this in Your name, amen. May we be seated. Paul is writing a letter to the Colossian church and this is a church that he had never been to. He did not found this church. He had never visited. It was actually Epaphras, who you see a few verses down, who had started the church. And so, he's writing to a group of individuals that he has, he's never met. He has no relationship with them. In fact, all that's happened is that he has heard from Epaphras what the Colossian church is like. And so, he's writing... For two purposes, he's trying to encourage them and build them up in their faith, and also there is the beginnings of a heresy that is starting to spread in the area, and he's trying to combat that before it takes over the church. And the details of that heresy we'll get to a little bit further down, but the whole of our passage takes the form of Paul explaining his prayer life. And it's really interesting because the main point of this is is not really to talk about prayer, but you can't really, you can't help but get a sense of what Paul's prayer life is like as you read it. He starts off saying, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And later on in verse 9, he says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so Paul is trying to make very clear at two different points that he is praying for this church all the time always, without ceasing, he is, he is praying on their behalf. And I don't know how many times you have heard someone else talk, heard the, the story of some coming to faith, and you thought to yourself, oh, I'm going to pray for them, and you prayed for them in any way that could at all be described as without ceasing. You've, we, have a, we have a very frequent parade of missionaries and different people who are up here on the stage, and you might hear about things that are happening on the other side of the world, and a lot of times it's really easy to be like, oh, that's nice, or "Oh, I praise God even, or maybe you even pray for them right now, you know, God, I, I pray for that missionary. But Paul, with people he has never met, is praying for them all the time. He is thankful for them, and he is asking God for something for them. And that's, that's really how our outline is going to go today as we go through the text. Paul is explaining what he knows to be true about the Colossian church and what he asks would be true about the Colossian church, what he wants for them. So, what he knows to be true and what he wants to be true for the Colossian church so that they would honor God in all that they do. And, and ultimately, it's for us also that we would honor God in all that we do. So what does Paul know to be true? He explains it right at the beginning. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard in your, of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid out for you in heaven. He gives three things, and these, things, these three things go together a lot in Scripture. They have faith in Jesus Christ, they have love for the saints. And they have hope in heaven. Faith, love, hope." That is already true about the Colossian church, and He is thankful for them, and He's writing to tell them about how glad He is about that. One of our missionaries every week emails me. It's one of the coolest coolest things that happens to me every week. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be praying for our missionaries, but he emails me and a couple other guys to say how he's praying for our church and for the ministries that are here, and he just wants to let, let me know and encourage me, which is, which is an amazing thing. I read it every week, and I'm, and I'm thankful for it. And that's, that's Paul. Paul saying, man, I'm thankful for you guys. You guys have a completely separate ministry from me. You're doing your own thing, your own, your own church, but I am so glad that you're doing it. You have faith in Jesus Christ, which is the cornerstone of any church. There can't The church isn't a social club. It's not that they're out there doing good in the community. A church, a church, definitionally, is a faith community. They have faith in Jesus Christ. And since he heard of it, since he heard that this church started, he's been praying for them and he's been thankful for them for the faith that they have. You are a faithful bunch in Colossae. And you have love for the saints. And I I love that this is specifically, I, I feel like faith in Jesus Christ, the hope of heaven. If we were talking about what Christianity 101 is, probably all of you would name that heaven faith, right? This is very good. Those are good things. But love, not for God, though obviously part of the Christian faith is love for God, but love for God's people is specifically what Paul states as just being a, a totally normal and baseline part of Christianity. We know that you have faith in Christ and that you love the saints, you love the church, you love the people of God, and that love has an, has an outward expression where you're trying to show love. It's, it's, that's not an optional thing, that's not something that you grow into. Faith by its very definition starts with a love for the church. It's true about them. And Paul's saying, I'm thankful for that, thankful for your faith. I'm thankful for your love and for the hope laid up for you in heaven. That phrase, laid up, it's used other places in Scripture. I think of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is preaching and He says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Put it away, store it, keep it. It's really interesting that Jesus tells us that we are supposed to be treasure collectors, just the right kind of treasure. But He's saying here you have hope laid up for you, and faith and love really don't make any sense without hope. If we didn't have a hope of heaven, there would be no reason to have faith in Christ or to have a love for for the church. It only works if there is something beyond this world that we're going to be a part of. And and so we have a hope in heaven. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. What we have in heaven has been laid up for us, by the Lord, He will award us this crown of righteousness. But that's our hope, that we, will, that we will be in heaven with God one day, that we will be made perfect when we are in heaven one day, and that is, that is our hope. Hope is used a couple of different ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's, it's this, you hope for something that is probably not going to happen, um, or at least you're not sure. And maybe that's how, at least in our modern culture, we use hope most often, but biblically speaking, the idea of hope is something that is very, very sure. You are going to get this. You just don't have it yet. And so you, you hope for something that you are guaranteed but haven't yet received. And that's the idea here, that, that there is laid up for you in heaven this, this hope of being with the Lord. And Paul's trying to encourage them. He's trying to thank them. I'm thankful for all of those things ever since I heard of it. And then we get this mini sort of explanation of of the history of the church of the Colossian church. In the middle of verse 5 of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing, and so there's, there's this thing called the gospel, and it came to you, but it's also kind of been going out to the entire world. It's going everywhere, and it's increasing, it's becoming more popular, it's bearing fruit, and it's doing what it is supposed to be doing, saving people and conforming them to the image of Christ, and we know that it's happened here. I was reading this week about the origins of coffee, I just typed into Google, where'd coffee come from? You do that too, right? Um, it was interesting. I didn't, I didn't know kind of how it got started. Someone, someone had to decide to, to do that one time and the first, the, the first time coffee, like the first kind of any usage of anything kind of like coffee was in Ethiopia in I think the 11th century. But it wasn't until the 15th century, a guy from Yemen was distributing coffee kind of as we know it today. And there's a couple of different legends for how exactly it worked, right? He had this, this bean that didn't taste good, so we tried roasting it to improve the flavor, but it was too bitter. So we thought maybe I'll boil it and that will like alter the flavor in some way. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, whoa, what's this stuff, right? This is delicious. Can you imagine just being the second guy to find out about coffee? This guy like, oh, look what I did, right? I got, this, I got this brown sludge liquid. And you're like, I don't know about this. And you taste it. like This is, this is gonna change the world, my friend. We gotta tell everyone we know about this lovely substance. And so, and so it goes out, it becomes hugely popular in the years since because, well, people taste it and it's delicious. And you can imagine the gospel like that. It starts in this specific geographic location, but it's spreading out and people keep talking about it and people keep sharing it with their friends because it is so good. And it ended up coming to the city of Colossae through Epaphras. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Paul is saying, Epaphras, man, he was there. He preached to you the real gospel, and we're thankful for him also. He's our beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He He is ministering to you. And he told us, he reported to us the love that you have in the Spirit. We know all about you because Epaphras has been so excited to tell us. Everything you're doing well, church, faith, hope, love, we're hearing about from Epaphras all the time. He can't shut up about you. And it's a wonderful thing. That is what he knows to be true about the church. Faith in Christ, love for the saints, hope in heaven. But Then we get to verse 9. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. Because he continues on in prayer. He sort of reboots his prayer in verse 9. We're still talking about what I'm praying for, church. But it's, it's going to take on a little different flavor. Before I'm praying and thanking God for you now, let me tell you what I want for you. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I'm praying on your behalf would be true, what he knows to be true, what he asks would be true. So, today we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I told you that there was some um, heresy, some false teaching going around in the area. And it was it was kind of unique in uh, close to the area of of Colossae there was there was eventually going to be a heresy called gnosticism. And you may have heard of it though if you forgot exactly what it is I'd forgive you. Gnosticism basically it it means a, it means a few different things but ultimately what you need in order to be saved is this this secret knowledge that is imparted to you after you have faith. And so, the words of the apostles and the words that we have of Scripture aren't enough to save you. You need this extra knowledge and specifically this extra hidden knowledge. And that was some of the basics of Gnosticism. Gnosticism proper didn't really start until about a century later. but. Some of the problems here are very very similar and the church of Colossae was was kind of interesting because they actually combined a few different heresies it was sort of a, a choose your own adventure of paganism because they also combined it with asceticism we know which is which is severe treatment of your body like in order to show god how much You care about Him, and so they would beat themselves or whip themselves in order to try and demonstrate their faithfulness, which is unbiblical as it turns out. And so, both of those things together, Paul's going to deal with at different times. But it's interesting, so when Paul talks about knowledge in Colossians, your ears should sort of perk up, like, okay, this is important, and what's interesting here, he's praying not that they wouldn't be filled with knowledge. The point is, you know, you've got to get as far away from this, this, you know, beginnings of Gnosticism as you can. So no knowledge. Just don't know anything. There's no secret knowledge. No, 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 no. He says be filled with knowledge, but be filled with the right kind of knowledge. Knowledge of God's will. Knowledge that has spiritual Wisdom and understanding. You need to have biblical knowledge, knowledge that comes from the Lord, and there's not some secret way to get it, it's what the apostles have been teaching. It's the truth that's been revealed in Scripture. Be filled with knowledge, He says, and there's a purpose why be filled with knowledge? What is the point of what Paul is trying to do? I'm praying, be filled with knowledge, why? Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. What a thing to pray for someone else. Think about this. Think about what you pray for others. The people you like best in the entire world. Your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your parents, good friends, whoever. Who do you really love? My guess is, and this is just how a lot of prayers go, you end up focusing on these very specific things. Help this person with this thing or that thing or some other thing. This is, this is astoundingly general. Colossian Church, every single thing that you do we want to please God. Fully please the Lord. How often do you pray that for yourself, let alone for someone else? Every single thing. I like to cook. I make dinner sometimes. I'm not very good at it, but I, I try and serve at home, and so that's something that I do uh, from time to time. And the worst feeling is when, I, you know, I'm... I'm stirring, I'm mixing, I'm taking stuff out of the oven, I'm moving stuff around. When, when you met, sometimes you can just mess up one thing in your meal. And it's just completely ruined. Um, I, the, the easiest thing for me is, is is barbecue, right? I like to grill. And I, just have you ever just burned one side of the burgers when when you just, you you forgot about them or there was too much grease and it caught on fire and all of a sudden they're charred. And I, you know, you get everything at the table and it all looks good and you put the burgers like the good side up so no one can really see, it's still a nice visual thing, but then people bite them and they're like, what happened to this? And you're apologizing. No, I'm like, it was gonna be perfect. It was gonna be really good. Like, I promise I, I scored 95% on this test. Almost everything was awesome, but that one thing just kind of ruined it. That's how our Christian life works sometimes, right? We do, maybe we do a lot of things well, but obviously there are some things that we can improve on, and yet what is what Paul is praying is that the church would. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And these, these, are, these are synonymous phrases that, that you would fully please Him, that every single thing that you do would be pleasing to the Lord, that there would be not a single thing outside of that, everything, no matter what, honoring to God. That is an intimidating challenge. Because there's a lot of different areas of your life that you have potential to fail in. Some of them are obviously spiritual and some of them are just how you live your life from day to day. If you think about your prayer life, your relationship with the Lord, the way you treat others. If you think about the way you love your spouse or the time you spend with your children, how hard you work at your job. Think about the things you look on on your computer, the amount of time you spend doing leisure activities, the way you handle your finances, the way you treat those you disagree with, what you type to people online. How do you talk about people when you're not with them? What do you think about when you're by yourself? What do you value? What do you cherish? All of those things are supposed to honor the Lord. And it is so easy to maybe work on the ones that are most visible to other people and ignore the biggest sins in your life that no one else happens to know about. Every single aspect of your life is meant to bring glory to God." I admit that that can get a little intimidating to think about and ponder. There's a lot of aspects of your life. Fortunately, Paul gives us some really good and specific examples of what exactly it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in the text. He's going to give three different things. Spiritual growth, spiritual power, spiritual thanks. Those areas are areas that will help you fully please the Lord. Spiritual growth is first, as in verse 10 so as i walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those two things together, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Kind of, those things together seems pretty fair to just describe those as spiritual growth. You should be learning more about the Lord, and you should be doing more on behalf of the Lord. You should grow in doing good you should do good all of the time. And what's interesting is that it says that you're bearing fruit in every good work, which makes me think that there is a kind of good work that you can do that doesn't actually bear fruit. It's still good. It still helps society or an individual or a group or whoever it's good for. And yet it is it is not something that honors the Lord for whatever reason. There is, there is a way to be helpful, but to not bring glory to God. And this is not what we're aiming for. If you want to fully please God, then the good that you do needs to be for the Lord, and it should bear fruit in your life. And it needs to be paired with learning more about God. Again, just because there was the beginnings of this Gnostic heresy doesn't mean that knowledge was this useless thing. You need to learn more about Jesus. It's amazing how many Christians I talk to that find whatever doctrine that's in the Bible, not very useful, not really helpful. They sort of evangelize the uselessness of certain doctrines, oh, I don't really talk about that, oh, I don't don't find end times to be very helpful, despite the fact that there's like an entire book of the Bible about end times. It seems like God cares about us knowing that. If you can't find an applicable way to apply that, that's probably on you. But. He's saying this is part of spiritual growth. You need to be increasing in knowledge. You don't, you don't hit a certain level of knowledge and now, well, now I don't need to know anymore. I know the basics of Christianity. I know all that I need. No, 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 no. You should be increasing all the time what it means to grow in the Lord and when you learn more it should inspire you to do more and when you do more should inspire you to learn more and it kind of goes in the circle and it's this amazing thing you should be growing in both of those things if you love to learn maybe it's time to get out and do and work for the Lord and for others and if you are only doing and never learning maybe it's time to sit down and read and meditate on God's Word so that you would increase in knowledge." Spiritual growth is one way to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Next is spiritual power, verse 11, "...may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy." You're supposed to have strength, but not... Run of the mill human strength, not whatever kind of strength of, you know, will that you can muster up for yourself. You're supposed to be empowered with the might of God to accomplish all that you need. And that is a next level kind of power. For the last couple of years, I have driven an electric car, it's a Fiat 500. And electric cars especially fiats, are not particularly known for their power. It's, it's, it's a glorified golf cart. But what I have found about the fiat is that its 0 to 30 acceleration is top-notch. It's amazing how fast I can get to 30 miles an hour. Now, if I want to go faster than that, it takes a little bit longer. But I have spun out my tires more times in the Fiat than I, in the last two years than I have my entire life. It's completely on accident. I'm just trying to go, and the wheels start spinning, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. When it rains, it's the worst because the, the the wet roads. I just, my tires are spinning all the time. There is kind of a surprising amount of power. And I'll be honest, comparing God to a Fiat 500 is maybe not my best analogy. But you get the idea. There's this this extra power. There is more than what you can do by yourself. You need to be empowered by the Lord. That is what He wants. That is part of walking worthy of the Lord. This isn't by your own power. It's by God's. And not... It's not just that you need strength, it's that you need endurance. Maybe strength and all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance. Endurance is different. It's 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 strength that is long-lasting. I was in Detroit this week. Uh, there was uh, I was with a bunch of other pastors, and I don't know, we were doing pastory stuff, I guess. But we went out at night one of the evenings. We were just at a pizza parlor and there were TVs there, and I saw this, it was a CrossFit like team competition have you seen these things this was crazy it's 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 totally bizarre they just they just give these Giant weights, and are like all four of you carry it over there. And then, you know, here's a 20 foot wall stand on top of each, shoulder, each other's shoulders, and then like hoist each other up once you're up there. And all of these really weird things, but you see them, and it goes on like this race is like 30 minutes. Like, I can't, I would just die. It seems like the worst. These guys were dying, and you see them at the end of the race, and they're dragging. They're just, you know, their faces are, it looks so painful. They didn't need to have this one big effort of strength the one time. They just needed to keep going and going and going. And that's the idea of endurance. That you need to be, you need to have the kind of strength, the kind of endurance that lasts a lifetime. So you can follow after the Lord for years and never falter. That's what it means to fully please. The Lord, it's, it's not just that you're doing it for this window of time, it's, it's that it's your whole life. God is strengthening you to last your whole life. And finally, spiritual power includes patience with joy. And I think Paul just might be trolling us at this point. With joy, huh Paul? Patience with joy. Have you ever just tried to be intentionally patient? I'm just going to wait. I'm content. Patient with your kids, patient with your spouse, patient with the people at work. In line somewhere. Sometimes it's the little things that are the worst. Have you ever tried to be patient waiting for like a web page to load? come on, come on, you know, why isn't it, you know, do I have, am I connected to Wi-Fi, am I, do I have a signal, right, like, it's, it's going to space, right, we should objectively be a little bit patient, and yet it's so easy to be like, why isn't this immediate? Patience is hard enough by itself, but patience with joy, oh, my favorite thing is waiting, my favorite thing is putting others before myself. Sure, son, you can interrupt my conversation again. It's so hard to do. I think this is is so obviously power from the Lord because no one's doing this by themselves. Patience with joy. But that honors God. It is part of what it means to walk worthy and, and for that reason, it's something to aspire to and pray about. Some of you might have a translation that, that puts joy in the next section. It's, it's sort of a weird textual thing, but I think, I think it fits better with patience grammatically. Joyful patience. So walking worthy means spiritual growth, spiritual power, and spiritual thanks. Starting in verse 12 and through the end, we get a number of things that we should just be thankful for that God has done giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light." You are going to receive an inheritance with the saints. Other places in Scripture it describes us as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are going to receive something from the Lord. And it is, it's really easy to think of that as some unspiritual thing. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this for the reward. And yet the Bible specifically brings up our reward as something that we should be thankful for. You should want whatever is in heaven. And it is okay if it motivates you to right action before God. In fact, that is exactly what it's intended to do. You have an inheritance that God has qualified you for. You weren't qualified. There wasn't something about you that God was like, oh, this guy deserves this, right? It was all the Lord's doing. I don't know if you've ever tried to apply for some kind of loan or something that you were not qualified for, house, car, I don't know. you can imagine the heavenly loan officer, you know, in order to qualify for saintly inheritance, you need a score of at least 850. And uh, I just ran your numbers and your score is nine, which is amazing because 300 is actually the lowest you can possibly go. You are all the way below what is even possible. This was us trying to earn any kind of heavenly inheritance. We can't earn it. Like We, we are so far away astronomically far away from deserving something from God, but He has given it to us. Not just because He is gracious and kind, He is, He is, but He qualified us. The point isn't that we didn't deserve it, but He gave it to us anyway. We didn't deserve it, and so He made us deserve it. He qualified us by covering our sins by the blood of Christ. And now we have received the righteousness of Christ. So when so when God looks at us, he can, he can call us sons and daughters. We can be co-heirs with Christ because of what He has done for us. He qualified us to share in the inheritance. He's delivered us from the remain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We have redemption and forgiveness. Through him. These are all going back to the gospel, aren't they not? And I love this picture that it's not just that he qualified us for inheritance, but there are these two different kingdoms. There's a domain of darkness and the kingdom of his son where the saints in light are. I can't really hear the term domain of darkness and not think of Mordor. Sorry, you knew what this was. Listen to this quote from the Lord of the Rings, because I think it's just a great… It's a description of a dark kingdom. The gasping pools were choked with ash and crawling muds, sickly white and gray, as if the mountains had vomited the filth of their entrails upon the lands about. High mounds of crushed and powdered rock, great cones of earth, fire blasted and poison stained, stood like an obscene graveyard in endless rows, slowly revealed in the reluctant light. What is even second place for dark domains from an earthly perspective, other than Mordor? I mean, Mordor's made up, so I guess that's a bad question, but you get the idea. It's a dark kingdom. And though that's made up, we know that there is a spiritual kingdom that is not. There is an actual dark spiritual kingdom, and we were part of that, and we were rescued from that. We were delivered from that into this new land where Christ reigns. I I was in Detroit this week, I, I think I mentioned that, and... I got off the plane and actually wasn't in detroit i was in chelsea which is about 45 minutes away and so i got a nice car ride from detroit through the michigan countryside and i was in awe the entire way of the trees there were so many trees and we have like we have trees but they lack one a wildness but two a density you could literally not see through the trees i had no idea what was on like, what was surrounding the freeway? There's just, there's just huge clusters. And I, I kept thinking, like, but can, like, can I just, like, get out and walk through these? Like, would I get lost? Like, no one would have any idea where I was. I was just wandering around the Michigan countryside. But I got there, and I felt like this is, this is utterly foreign. I am, I am not where I am used to being. And this kingdom that we're being transferred into is nothing like where we came from. It is a kingdom of light where Jesus Christ reigns. And the reason we can be there is because we have been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Christ. And all of these things, qualified, transferred, redeemed, forgiven, these are things that we should be thankful for. And this is what Paul is praying for the church. Be thankful for this stuff. Think about what Christ has done and be glad and thank Him. And so this is the point. This is the point where I ask you, are you walking worthy of the Lord? Are you fully pleasing Him? For some of you, the answer might be, Absolutely not, because what you may not know is that to even have a chance at pleasing God in any respect, to even have the ability for some of your actions to glorify and honor the Lord, you need to start with faith and hope and love. That is the starting point for a relationship with God. That is the starting point for pleasing God. If you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, then you cannot please Him in any respect. And so come to the Lord. Put your faith in Him. Place your hope in heaven. Love His people and be part of His family. But for others of you who have faith, but you still feel, man, there there are there areas of my life that are not pleasing to the Lord. You have three areas that you can think about straight from the text: spiritual growth, spiritual power, spiritual things. The problem might be that you are doing nothing to grow spiritually. You don't serve. you're not working hard, you're not doing for others, you neglect God's Word, or you read it so fast as just like something to do when you never meditate on it and think about it, and so you lack spiritual growth. And if that's you, pray, pray and ask God that you would begin to grow spiritually and then get to work doing for others and saturating yourself in His Word. But ask that you would grow spiritually. Some of you might lack spiritual power You go through life and you've been on this Christian walk for a long time and you can feel the difficulties of your life weighing you down. You can feel your faith slipping. You can feel your fidelity to God waning and you need endurance or you need patience to get through this difficult time in your life. You need joy in the midst of your patience, and that is a supernatural act. Pray for that. Pray for power from God to endure all that life throws at you. And some of you lack thankfulness. You have so much from God. You are in this wonderful state of being forgiven and redeemed, and your hope is in heaven and your inheritance is laid up there. And you're part of this kingdom of the Son, and yet you have no thankfulness in your heart. You only want more. You can only think about what you have not received from God or what others have but you don't. And you should be thankful. And that thankfulness will please God and transform your life. I hope that as a church we take we take these things seriously. And I want to remind you one more time about the nature of Paul's prayer. Probably all of you are thinking, yeah, I should start praying about all of that stuff for me. But Paul was praying about it for others. Pray for our church. That we as a church body, would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what it tells us about walking in a manner worthy of You and fully pleasing You. And I pray that we would do that, that we would care about it, that we would pray always and without ceasing that our church would be following after you like that, not only for ourselves personally, but as a collective church body. I pray that we would, that we would care about pleasing you in every respect. God, give us spiritual growth, spiritual power, and spiritual thanks, and be glorified through us, we pray in your name. Amen.